Welcome to the Investment Cuddle. Episode 23. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk pensions. So I think we've covered pensions a few times in other episodes, Philip, but we've not really done a full episode on pensions. We've kind of dipped in and out the subject when we've been yeah, talking about, you know, savings and other things, haven't we? Yeah, that's correct. So what is a pension? Well, generally speaking, a pension is a tax-efficient wrapper that allows you to save for your retirement. It's worth pointing out there are several types of pensions, of which the two biggest ones you break down into are those private pensions and those run by the state. So state here, I mean countries, governments. In most of Europe, most pensions that people have are via the state. And this is where the government takes money from income tax and then pays it out as retirement when you're old enough. But it doesn't really save or invest any of that money. It's just every year it just collects what it needs in tax and spends it. Then you have private pensions, which are either done by private individuals or companies for their employees, where they actually form a fund and then use that fund to pay the pension when they come to retire. They're fundamentally the two types. Okay. So you've talked there about the two types, but you know, I hear people talking about defined benefit, defined contribution, and then you've got, you, know, you said individual pensions. What's the difference between a defined benefit and a defined contribution scheme? Effectively, it is meaning what you get when you come out. So what is the bit that's being guaranteed? Defined benefit is the official name for most company pensions, which we used to be called final salary. They weren't usually always final salary, but they were often referred to as final salary. And this is where the company guarantees a set pension, usually based on a percentage of your salary, either the average salary across your life or your final salary just before you retired. Now, they guarantee that. doesn't matter how much you put in, the company guarantees to pay it out. So they'll keep paying in if they mess up the um, investment process. With a defined contribution, all that's being guaranteed here is how much that get paid in. Whether it grows and how much of a pension it gives you at the end is not guaranteed, only what goes in per month. That's usually what most pensions are these days, most company pensions and all private, personal private pensions of that type. Okay, and so what's why have we moved away from the defined benefit then? Because the defined benefit, in terms of guaranteed a proportion of your final salary, sounds like a much better deal, right? For, for the you know for the employee when they come to retire, it sounds like a much better. I won't say guaranteed, but it's a much. It sounds better anyway. It's a lot less involvement from the investment side for the employee if you had a defined benefit system uh, pension scheme from your employer. The reason why they've dwindled over the years is for mainly two reasons. One, the governments keep changing the tax rules, um, of which some of the biggest tax changes happened under Gordon Brown when he was Chancellor in the Labour government of the late 90s, where one of the first things he did was, in the ideal world, the company will build up and the employer will build up funds so that you overpay in the good years so that you can have a payment holiday when a recession comes along. 
Mr. Brown didn't like that idea. So he went and raided most of the pension funds that are overfunded. And so the rules were changed to effectively, if the fund has more than 5% more funds than it needs, the government takes the rest. So therefore, if your fund was doing really well, companies and the employees tended to have pension holidays, as they called them. You stopped paying money into it because any money you paid in just went straight to the tax man, to the chancellor. Now, the downside of that was that when the recession came, all of a sudden, the investment performance didn't do as well. And you had pension black holes very quickly, where the company and the employees had to pay in a lot more money all of a sudden. So it went from being something which was quite steady because you averaged the good years over the bad years to basically then where you couldn't build up a reserve in the good years because the government just took it away as tax. So therefore, it put bigger, more and more onus on the company to fund the extra money that's needed during recessions, which is exactly the time when the company didn't have a lot of spare cash. So therefore, they generally stopped them to new members joining and most schemes now have stopped to accruals by the current members. So they just close them. Okay. And is that so that's happened with a lot of companies? Are there other places where you can still work and get a defined benefit or a final salary scheme? Yes, the government, government direct employees. The thing that's funny though is there's no fund, or in most cases, there's almost no fund. It's just paid for our gem, uh, direct taxation. So effectively, when you retire, you're still down on the books as an employee as far as accounting is concerned until you die. You're just down at a 50% or 60% rate compared to when you're an employee. So this is why a lot of state pensions get unaffordable is when you look at their finances, they effectively never have, they very rarely get rid of people. Even when they retire, they're still on the books effectively. Right. So this, so this is, um, without taking us down a rabbit hole, this is a bit like the conversation I had with my dad years ago when he made the statement about paying in, and this is more about the state pension, but you know, he paid his taxes to fund the state pension. And I always yes. joked with him and I said, well, yeah, that's fine, dad. But all the people that were retired while you were working spent that money. So there's no, so the money you paid in is already gone. So, which, which at the time he, he didn't find very funny. <laughs> I have to say. But it's exactly true because we pay in the UK income tax and what's called national insurance, which is another form of income tax. Now, it's always been said, oh, national insurance pays for the state pension and the NHS. No, it doesn't. It just goes straight to the Treasury and then they just spend it on whatever they need to spend it on that year. There's no fund. There's no national insurance fund. Isn't that a pyramid selling scheme or a Ponzi scheme? No, because it's perfectly legal. Because as um, as Humphrey pointed out, the government cannot be prosecuted for owning all the fire traps in London. It is exempt. Yes, but if you were doing, if you were any company or private individual, you would be arrested and prosecuted for basically having yeah Ponzi scheme. But because it's the government, they're exempt. They've exempt themselves. Right. Okay. Well, actually, that was triggering me because my question would be. It sounds like Gordon Brown made the system, the pension system, uh, much more fragile. And if everybody recognises that that's a bad idea, why haven't they reversed it? Uh, Money. Uh, Well, the problem was, though, it was a tax grab. And, of course, the government wants the money, so it doesn't want to give it up. 
it's the same way as pensions also. Uh, they could deduct all taxes from their income stream. And then Gordon Brown changed that and said, no, 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 you still got to pay. Ca- uh, I will still want uh, 20% off every uh, dividend, even if it is held within a pension fund. Now, later, chancellors reduced it, but they never completely got rid of it because they need the money. And most people, most electorate don't understand and therefore don't, don't care because it's not on their income tax. So therefore, they don't care. It's the same reason why chancellors like to increase national insurance because it's not called income tax. So they can sit there and go, I did not lie. I did not increase income tax. No one, no company is going to bring, even if you undid all the damage that Gordon Brown did, no company is going to bring these back. No, I think that's a fair statement, isn't it? But it's interesting that you said about the government, you could work, go and work for the government and there's a defined benefit scheme available. Do teachers still have a defined benefit? Is that something that... Depends how they're funded. Depends where, who employs them. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether that was still around. But what we're saying is there's very few institutions, whether that's companies mm-hmm. or... Non-governmental institutions, yes. That yeah, still have that where the you know, defined benefit works because what we're saying is that actually it's, it's too expensive, if that's the right too word. volatile, yeah. To be able to guarantee somebody a return. So in that sense then... The majority of people who are still working and not that close to retirement are going to be in defined contribution schemes. They might be called something else. Like, a, is money purchase still a. Yeah, there's money purchase phrase. pension plans, SIPs, which are self invested pen- personal pension plans, stakeholder pensions, uh, to name but a few. But they're all types of defined contribution pension plans. Okay, so you mentioned SIPs there then. If if you look at a defined contribution, which is, if we take the example of defined contribution and you're working for a company, and then another version of defined contribution, which is a self-invested pension plan, so a SIP, what's the key difference between those two then? If you're saying they're, they're similar, they're both contribution, defined contribution, what's the the key differences there between those two. So for most, for most largest companies, they will form. There's two ways. They will either go to a pension provider such as like Legal and General, Aviva, um, Zurich, Zurich, for example, and they will set up a, a trustee-based pension scheme for their employees. For smaller companies or for those who are private individuals, you just get lumped into the pension providers all in one trustee scheme. A SIP is just another way of offering one of these schemes. As a ta- it's a tax wrapper that tends to be offered by wealth managers and stockbrokers instead of an actual insurance company directly. And it's like an ISA, it's just a tax wrapper. Whereas uh, if you went to an insurance company, you can generally put their funds in your pension. If you go to a stockbroker, if your stockbroker offers you everything the market allows, you can put anything you like in it as long as that's allowed to go into a pension, like with an ISA. So in that sense, then, am I right in thinking that if you're working for a company, you've got defined contribution scheme, normally the companies will contribute to that? Yes. So So what usually happens is they will take the pension deductions from your salary before tax is applied. So so it's tax-free income that gets put into the savings account. And then they will put their contribution into it as well. If you're going down a private pension route, because your employer 
it's, he has already taken the tax off it before it's paid you your wages. You put it into the personal pension. Your then pension provider or SIP provider will then go to the and put in a, a refund claim from HMR Revenue and Customs to claim back your basic rate tax relief. And if you're a basic rate taxpayer, effectively what you've paid in there is tax-free So because they've reclaimed the basic rate tax rate. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you then need to go fill in a self-assessment form at the end of the tax year and claim the remaining 20 or 25% back from HMR Revenue and Customs directly. I think what I was just getting at is whilst there are tax breaks on the self-invested pension plan, the SIP, the defined contribution is from a company that will contribute to your pension pot. It's always the better option to take the company scheme? Uh, Yes. If the company pays into it, take the company schemes. Now, there are a couple, and these are very few and far between, companies who are enlightened enough that they will pay into a private SIP on your behalf. Most will only pay into their scheme that they've arranged. But because of the amount of contributions the company will make, it's almost always better to join their scheme and because that way you get their contribution. Okay. So, yeah, so there's some s- distinct differences on the defined contribution between a company scheme and a, and a self-invested pension plan. But what you're saying is you're going to have to pay whatever money you want to put into your SIP you're going to essentially, if you take that out of your wages, for example, you're going to have got taxed on that. And then you retrospectively get that money back. So it's still essentially tax-free, but there's no yes. additional contribution on top from the from the employer. So an employer pension is probably the better option. That is correct. Yeah. Except in a situation, I guess, where you might not intend to be at the company very long. And therefore, well, you want to get, you know, can you get that? All I'm thinking is, if you work for somebody for a short period of time, can you get that defined contribution company scheme out without being charged to the earth to then put it into or join it with another another scheme? Now, this is where defined contribution schemes are much cheaper and much easier because there's no guarantee, apart from what got put in it, it's much easier to transfer. Now, there is a bit of leeway with the companies, like you have to be with them for a certain amount of time, or they can, if you leave, they can take their um, contributions out. I can't exactly remember. It's 18 months or two years. But but after that time, they can't take their contribution out. But what you can do is you go and say, I work with company B for two years, and then I go work for company C for five years, and then I go work for company Z for another 10 years. And in all three cases, they had company-defined contribution pension schemes. I could take the defined contribution scheme from company A and move it to company B, the pot. Or I could take it out of company A's scheme and set up my own SIP, pension SIP, and put it in there once I left that company. And then when I move from company B, I can move that money into it, or I could move it into company Z's. Uh, defined contribution pension scheme and because these ones there's there's no guarantees or whatever it's much much cheaper and much much easier to transfer the money because it's just basically a a savings pot when it comes to defined benefits because although you're part of a much much bigger pool which funds the retirement in the future it's not actually a pot of your money so therefore it's more difficult for them to work out how much it's worth 
and it can depend on lots of things and you need to take financial advice. And a lot of pension providers will not accept money that's come from a defined contribution scheme because it involves taking over all of the risks that you were missold, that actually it was not in your benefit or best interest to move from a defined benefit scheme to a defined contribution scheme. Right. So what you're saying is that the new provider won't take the risk of taking your defined benefit pot out. Is that yes. is that what you mean? Yeah. Very, very, very few will accept those sort of transfers, will even consider okay. it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a defined contribution scheme, it's much, much, much easier. Most of them accept it. I think by law they have to accept it because there's no mis-selling scandal here because you're not losing guaranteed benefits. Yeah. And I think, you know, the kind of caveat here is moving anything around, whether it's defined benefit, defined contribution or anything else. As I think we usually say is if you're going to take advice, go and get some decent financial advice from a from from a financial advisor, because this can get quite complicated, especially with defined benefit transfers. So the only other one there is now in the last couple of years, the rules in the UK have changed where when you start working for a company, providing you pay enough money to pay national insurance and income tax, you'll be automatically enrolled into a pension scheme. It's now not you don't opt in, you have to opt out of joining the pension scheme now to try and nudge more people into joining it. Now, there's a basic pension scheme which this offers. So what most companies do is if you actively join their scheme, they pay quite a bit. If you don't and you end up doing it by joining the scheme by auto-enrolment, they, quite a lot of companies will put you into the government's scheme, which is now referred to as NEST, and they often pay much, much reduced amounts of money in. Quite a few companies will sort of match your contributions or pay more or double it in some cases compared to what you pay in. In the NEST scheme, it's much, much lower amounts that the company pays. And this is a big thing. So join the comp- actively join the company scheme or you could be taking a big pension cut. So... With the auto-enrolment, the bare minimum you get is the employer pays 3% of your salary. You pay 5% of your salary, and therefore 3 plus 5 means the total contribution is 8% of your salary. Quite a few private company schemes will sit there and go, you'll pay 5 to 6%. Quite a lot of companies will match that, and quite a few of them will double it. So therefore, you pay 5 the company pays 10 your total contributions are 15% of your salary. So as you can see, there can be quite large differences is if you don't actively opt to join the company scheme compared to if you just get put into auto-enrollment. Right, so that sounds like a, a worse option. Yes, and the rationale is for most companies, pension they offer pensions because it's an employment benefit to attract good employees. If you can't be bothered to join the company scheme, it's obviously not a benefit you think is worthwhile having so why am i going to waste money paying it to you because you're not interested yeah i guess that's an option isn't it but uh, you know as we've part of the reason we do this podcast is to try and educate people about oh, money no. investing I'm trying to say, that's the company's opinion of why they don't actively push you into their scheme yeah no i don't disagree Philip. I, I just think it's, it's one of these situations where we find ourselves you know knowledge is a wonderful thing but if you don't nobody's talked to you about pensions a lot of people don't see the don't see the value in them anyway yeah so one of the it's almost the one of the you know it's not it doesn't feel like it's the right way around with the employee really no in the past i've been a trustee of a company's pension scheme and it was quite shocking when you found out of those people who could join the scheme and this was a final salary scheme only 55 percent did 45 percent never joined so it's almost half 
Yeah, that's kind of crazy, but somehow not that surprising. Yeah, because pensions are a long way into the future. And what we saw was if you didn't join the scheme within the first three, four months, the probability you ever join in the scheme was almost zero. Very few people join the scheme after they've been with the company for more than a year if they didn't join the first three months. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I mean, I was an apprentice uh, a little while ago now, and we weren't allowed to join the scheme until we reached 21, I think. So we weren't allowed to join the, pen- the pension scheme. And there wasn't, there wasn't any other option. That was it. You just, you just waited to be eligible, I guess. So I looked around and, well, what, what do we do? Because what else is there? You know, you're turning around and saying, I'm kind of, it's, yeah, it, it was just, a, I guess, a different way of looking at it is that it's not, you're not, you're not eligible because you're too young and then you're not eligible because you've then got to go through some sort of um, probation or something potentially with a company. So eventually you might get into a pension scheme assuming you're one of the 55% that wanted to be in it in the first place. Yes. So, yeah, it's not necessarily um, an encouragement, is it? But I think the, the, you know, the fundamental point is get, get into a scheme if you, can, if you can get into one. And I guess if you're you know, running your own business, what you're saying is with the self-invested pension plan, there's reasons to put money into a pension there because and, there's tax benefits. And also... Tax benefits that you can pay, pay it as part into there, as wages into there. And you probably find there's other ways of it not being classed as income, employee contributions. So there's lots of things. But again, you want to take financial tax advice from a tax accountant, because most of the times it's how do I do this this in the most tax efficient way? So, yeah. So, but I think, you know, are there any other types of pension that we've missed? You've mentioned the state pension, which I guess we can probably cover in a little bit more detail, but we'll perhaps cover that when we do the retirement bit. So are there any other options? Yes, there's lots of old legacy state benefits pensions, which are no longer applicable. Such you would have heard of SERPs, second state pension, earnings related state pension, all the others. The government's amalgamated most of these and they don't exist unless you're accruing them back in the 80s and 90s. You could also opt what's known as opt out so it's opt- So you paid the company and you paid less national insurance because the idea was setting up in the 80s was if you're prepared to take on the responsibility of managing your own pension as a private citizen uh, via a company scheme or via a private pension scheme, the government was willing to give you a big tax break via reductions in national insurance contributions because you will stop being a burden on the state in the future. That was the rationale behind it. But to be honest, most of those things are not worth talking about here because going forward, they don't exist anymore. And we'll say thank you to Philip and we'll see you next time. This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.